Manx Radio's Countryside is brought to you by NFU Mutual. Hello and welcome to Countryside here on Manx Radio. I'm Simon Clark. And I'm Kiri Kermode. Recently I caught up with Sandy Hoyton from the Manx Hedgehog Conservation Society and I also popped along to Harvest in the Barn. And I find out from local contractor Philip Hampton how the weather and various other things have been affecting the fieldwork around the island. Well, we've had some uh, some good days and some bad days, but obviously work in the agricultural and horticultural side, the fishing, everything goes on on the island as best it can, Kiri. It has certainly. It's been very intermittent this autumn. The harvest has been a bit spread out, but I think these last few sunny days we've been having, people have got the last of the green crops in, some new grass seeds for next year, and the last of the corn ba- um, lifted and the, and the straw baled. But it has been a bit touch and go, though. Yes, it has, and Melia's happening around the Isle of Man and all sorts of things at the the church halls, which is remarkable to see that they're still keen for these to go ahead. And uh, you were at an event? I certainly mm. was. It's an earlyish event, I suppose. We always enjoy a harvest home, and I popped along to Glen May to see Harvest in the Barn. Well, Gordon Clegg, another lovely event down here at Ballacreggan in Glen May. This is an annual, the Harvest in the Barn. Yes, I think it started about is it 11 years ago. 11 years ago we started, uh, the chapel was closing and they were looking for somewhere to do some work on the chapel and they were looking for somewhere to hold an event for that year and it's just took off and continued with it um, and it's just so nice to put something back into the community. We don't support the chapel enough every week but it's our way of putting back into it and allowing them to use the barn and there's a good team of staff here that sort it all out and tidy it up. And like you say, tidying up there Gordon, that was no mean feat this year. <laughs> it's a good opportunity once a year. To make use of the amenities and tidy the yard, isn't it? <laughs> it really is. It is. But yeah. tonight, the decor of all of the fresh fruit and vegetables, and the, and yeah. the Manx table. We've tried to make a bit of a stance this year on mostly Manx because we're involved in agriculture. The Isle of Man tries to get self-sufficient. We try to support as much as we can. So yeah, Lexi Glen supports us with flour. We've got local eggs. We've got all local produce. We've got vouchers from the fat stock. We've got milk from the creameries, and all homegrown produce. And that's what the people are looking for through this pandemic. I think that has reiterated the most. We need local produce. Well, I think people have realised more and more that you do need local. Um, we've always tried to support local where we can, and we'd like other people to support us back. This is it. But you're not only involved with this, Gordon. This is, or tonight, we're standing here watching the people coming in, and, and the people are coming, you know, scores of people come to enjoy themselves. But also the, the Cronkavody events and different other events around the Isle of Man. I know lately the, the big spud competition is always a favourite. Yes, it is. Um, Cronkavody itself has got quite a good committee up there, good staff. Um, I think me at 57 years of age has managed to keep the average age on the committee down to about 81. <laughs> <laughs> But no, everybody mucks in, and it's a wonderful show every year. But it's not the committee that make the show. The show, the committee, all they do, they provide the venue, they put the marquee up. It's the exhibitors that are coming to put the entries in. It's the support we get from the public that come, they make a show of it, and we have that auction at night, and uh, everything at the end of the day. There's no entry fees, but everybody leaves their produce, and everything is sold for charity. And this year's charity was the Manx Blind Welfare. And I believe, I haven't got the figures to hand, but we're somewhere in the region of just over 2,500 this year raised between the auction and the raffle and donations that were put in. And it's a credit to everybody about it. It's not a credit to the whole of the committee. It's a credit to the people. 
This is it. And you see the classes that you put on for the younger ones. That's the generation we need to keep going and coming to these events. Tonight here at the Harvest in the Barn in Glenmay, it's full of children. Yeah, it's nice to see them coming about because if they're not here, they're your future. We've got to try and keep these events alive and keep, keep everything in the community. Support where we can, keep encouraging people. Just get as many young people in as you can, get them going on the job. That's that's what you want to do. And tonight, we've obviously talked about how wonderful the display of the fresh fruit and the produce is around there. But also in this barn, there's something very special in the artwork. Now, that is, is Manx through and through. Well, it is, and I've got to thank, the only person you can thank for that is Brenda Kenyuk. Um, over the years, some of the paintings she had already done, but over the years in different events, she'd come down for two or three nights and we'd change all the paints for something different. If there's a barn dance on, there'll be dancers on the wall, uh, cowboys on the wall, there'll be horses on the wall. It's just, it just changes every time you go on. But, and it's wonderful. But like you say, these, these aren't just small picture box paintings. These are big sheets of plyboard covered with Manx scenes. They're, they're, they're no, uh, I'm going to put a couple on our Facebook page, on the Manx Radio's Facebook page for people to have a look at. They're 8 foot by 12 foot. And when she comes down, she just goes freehand, um, and, and they're done. And believe it or not, she just I can see a shadow in the mirror behind us, and we might even get a quick word on her. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're lucky, Gordon, tonight in the background here, we can hear the, the lovely silver band playing. But that is always a fantastic tradition. Yeah, Crosby Silver Band comes to every event here. The Harvest in the Barn, the Christmas in the Barn, and they make it. A band makes the music. Yes, it's nice, pianos are nice, organs are nice, but you can't beat a band no matter where you go. It's just nice to have them, and we, we appreciate of them. And the service tonight, are you leading it? Oh, no, no, no. No, not that far up yet. <laughs> and alongside tonight, Gordon, we'll have the service as well. Yeah, we've got a, a local minister, Sandy Fishbourne, but we're also on tonight with a guest speaker, uh, guest minister, Mr Hall. Um, so, yeah, yeah, looking forward to it. He's doing the sermon tonight. And hope it's a good night. And the one thing I did notice is the ladies bringing trays of cakes. You can't beat a good cake and a sandwich and a cup of tea after. <laughs> you we, certainly can't beat a good cake, no. No, we like them. I don't mind making them either. I don't mind meeting them. I've, I've got... Quite a few of my own bonnets in there tonight. They've been thrown in the oven this afternoon between brush and the yard. <laughs> but that said, Gordon, you've mentioned the bonnets there. Back in March, we were out there in Dorby. It was probably one of the last Manx events that was held before lockdown. Before lockdown. And this year now... And I missed it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and this year now would be such a lovely opportunity, a great position the Isle of Man is in, to hold this harvest home. We're very lucky we are able to do it. When you look at the adjacent aisle, like it's, they're so unfortunate the way things are going, and it's just great to be able to be here and congregate together with so many people and just enjoy the night. That was Gordon Clegg there, the organiser from Glen May of Harvest in the Barn. And it's a, a unique set in Kiri, isn't it? Absolutely uh, yeah. beautiful. That shed was done out incredibly well, and absolute credit to the Clegg family there. They do so much for the community, and Gordon in particular for lots of other farm and people around the area in the West Coast there too. No, no candles. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite. No. But yeah, it is really, um, and there's something. It's like having a hot, like the Christmas services in somebody's house, isn't it? You know, I know Paul Castain often has them down his place and things like that, and this. Just something 
that makes it right about it. There's always something about an old farmyard at Christmas, isn't there? And and like that there with Gordon, he does have a Christmas in the barn too. And uh, people just want to get out and enjoy in the countryside. And, and in that old feeling of um, maybe yesteryear, maybe, I don't know what it is, but he had, in particular for the harvest in the barn, all decked out with hydrangeas and all the, the, the greenery for this time of year. But the display of veg, the fruit and veg, was just phenomenal. And we'll have some pictures on our Facebook of Max Radio to show the listeners that. <laughs> Well, as we mentioned at the start of the programme, it's been a, a difficult year for, for various reasons. Uh, some we know, some we're about to find out, I suppose. But uh, I went along to find out how things had been in the contracting world, uh, combining and ploughing and silaging, uh, from local contractor Philip Hampton. And firstly, I put it to him that uh, had the weather, of all things, been affecting much? Yes, Simon. We've had probably one of the out of one of the wettest winters that we've seen and we had the wettest february february on record and then we went into march with the start of the coronavirus and the weather dried up and we had a good spell for about 10 weeks and then we've had some of the wettest two or three months that the year could throw at us so it's not been ideal is that wet at the time where you don't want it to be wet from a contractor or farmer's point of view is it? yes well the, the dry spell affected hurt a lot of crops in their establishment and made the first cropping of grass on light crops and then when the rain came everything exploded and grass grew like anything but it was too wet to harvest it at the ideal time for the quality yeah, and that, that people don't realise that, do they think grass just grows and grows and grows and then you can cut it when you like, but a lot of the time the goodness is gone, isn't it? Yeah, the modern farmers, especially now, are after as much quality out of the grass as they can, so they don't even want to be a week late when they're harvesting it, so it does make a big, big difference to how much extra feed they have to do to alter the quality. Yeah, because I remember he used to talk to John Cayley from Lacero when he was doing the, the silage and stuff, and he'd have a diary of every year and be checking on the weather, and such a crucial time for, for to get it right for him. Oh, yes. It's a very serious business, especially for the, for the dairy farmer. It makes a big difference on how much cake or cow feed they have to put with, with the silage to get the most milk out of the cow. Because it's like um, people think, oh, oh they're just going to get fed a bit of hay and a bit of grass and stuff. But it's, it's like nutrition's in humans, isn't it? You know, to get it right, you're getting the best out of the cows for the milk yields. Oh, yes. There's people whose sole job is to make up diets for cows. Wow. What about um, sort of contracting you, you do, and you talked about the silage there, but a lot of other things that you have to get involved with? Yeah. We've had a lot of uh, like establishing cereal crops and things like that this year was quite a challenge with the with the coronavirus because there wasn't as many you couldn't have as many as much staff around because normally you might have a couple of people sharing a tractor you know doing half a day or someone coming in to do a few hours at night whereas now this year it was a lot harder and we were disinfecting tractors in between that'd be a first for farmers <laughs> on some of them yeah they, they were all pretty they were all pretty clean and you were wiping them down with 
antibacterial wipes and even when you were turning up to a farm you'd have to put gloves on to open the gates because especially with everyone taking their hours exercise in a day there could be 30 people an hour climbing over a stile or over a gate so you're always a bit conscientious of how many people were around I mean it was quite nice to see the amount of people that were around and out walking and enjoying the place and I think people did they did take a lot more interest than they normally would when they were watching what was happening in the countryside. So so it, it did have a, a big effect on on the, I suppose the time scale because when you're contracting you need to get in get it done as quick as you can get to somebody else. Yes um, we were very lucky that the weather was so good at the time so you could afford to take a bit longer and this year my nephew helped me because we were a bit short staffed because he they shut down at they shut down after at the college and he come back and he started doing a lot of work with me and that that helped but yes it was a bit of a and to be fair when you were going on farms a lot of people are worried because if you're a sole you're a sole trader and if you come down with it even the best laid plans no one knows their farm like they do themselves mm, that would be a, a worry from your point of view wouldn't it you know you, you're self-employed you, you know nobody can drive your machinery and yet you can't do if you had to do nothing for two weeks yeah mm. i i think there would have been we probably would have got through but yes it was a bit of a well, it was a worrying time for everyone, wasn't it? You know, it was the unknown. We didn't now, I think, we're a little bit more open to the idea. We know a bit more about it. But at the time, no one knew and everyone was a bit scared. Yeah, they were. Now, got the machinery in front of us now. You're not finished for the year, I would imagine, by any means. Uh, no, no. We've got a couple of, couple of grass silage jobs to do. And then I'm just getting this maze header that's in front of us here. It looks like a sort of medieval torture device looking at this. It looks quite scary, the front of this. Yes, you do get a few looks when you're going down the road in between fields with it. But, yes, so we'll put this on, and this goes on the front of the forage harvester, and it chops maize, proper what people would call corn silage, and put that in the pit to make that to feed to feed to the cows really yeah so there's a bit of that to do and then is that it then for the winter we can relax um there's a there's a few winter crops if you're starting to sow maybe winter oats and a few things around about now but yes once we get another month out of the way hopefully we can start to wind down a bit then yeah Get everything ready for next year. Yes, it's not long by the time you've serviced a few things up and done a little bit of hedge trimming and things like that and got ready for Christmas. It's, uh, it's not long before it's starting again and it's nice to see the family and the children for a little while. <laughs> yeah. is, it, is it one thing that's, has it grown in popularity, get, uh, farmers getting contractors in? Because years ago they all used to have a little baler or a plough and a small combine that somebody had. I mean... They're so expensive now. Is it, is it working the contractor favour in a way? Yeah, yes. I mean, the expenses of it is one thing, but also the shortage of labour. If we go in to do to do a silage job, I might mow it, or maybe the farmer might mow himself. 
uh, a friend of mine, Jamie Corkish, he might do the another contractor, he might do the raking for me, someone else might do the silage pit, and we all sort of share it round and work together because the labour isn't around that they used to be to help out and do all the jobs yourself. Yeah, so you'd sort of get everyone together to do this farm, you'd all go together and do the other farm, and it all sort of worked together, which is nice. Yeah, yeah, that tends to be the way. But it was the only trouble this year with the coronavirus. Normally, you'd be in the farmhouse for a big, big cooked-up dinner and things like that, and a bit of banter around the dinner table. And especially in first cut, up until end of June and all, really... That hadn't been happening. We were left with stuck with sandwiches in the tractor cab on a lonesome. <laughs> You'll have lost stones away then, have you? <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> Local contractor Philip Hampton telling us uh, all about uh, how the year had been so far, the start of it, and up to date as well. And uh, again, just trying to get it done, you know, while well, they can. And they've they've had a bit of luck with the weather of all things to, you know few warm days together and dry days which they can get some done that's it the early part like he said there was awful dry and the crops were a bit of a a struggle to get going but this second part of the year for livestock farming in particular the sheep and cattle have definitely enjoyed a lot fuller uh, fields of grass anyway and it's been a nice autumn yeah and interesting uh, you know where people outside of farming would think grow as much if you can grow as much you know but, of course, uh, in this case, it is quality rather than quantity, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And that's it. today we were chatting with other farmers that have got plenty of silage made and they're looking to sell it. And they think the first cuts weren't maybe so great. The middle ones are really good and the last ones, uh, oh, they could be a bit touchy as well. But it makes all the difference. You think just grass is grass, but it certainly isn't. No, it's not. <laughs> You're listening to Countryside here on Max Radio with Kiri Kermode and myself, Simon Clark. Well, I suppose it's getting, sad to say it, was getting darker in the evenings and uh, autumn will be uh, upon us soon and... It's it's a time where some of the animals will be going into hibernation, won't it? That's right, and I think a few Manx people do too in the winter months here on the <laughs> island. But no, that's right, the, the hedgehog, a very popular little friend around the countryside, and, and it's sad to hear in the UK that the numbers are diminishing by... By the year, it's, it's really, really in a, in a dire state. I caught up with Sandy Hoyton from the Manx Hedgehog Conservation Society to see how our numbers were doing here on the island. Sandy, you've brought me to a very beautiful place here. This is apparently where it all began with you. <laughs> this is East Baldwin uh, Conservation Woods. This um, is a very special place for, for me personally because um, I walk this regularly. But this is where it all started for the charity, really. When I found... Mr Nosy and Mr Dozy, which were actually <laughs> not named at that time, but uh, they were introduced to children within a week of me um, caring for them, and that's what some children called them. And those are the originals that everyone remembers, Nosy and Dozy. <laughs> and that, you say, is ten years ago. Yeah. My goodness, a long time. It is a long time. Um, but that was it. That's where I got hooked in and got really passionate about um, how vulnerable they are, because that was actually October and um, they were very tiny and that also indicated that there had been a female in this area that had obviously given birth and maybe had second litter because uh, mm. they're all ruled by temperature. They don't have a little calendar in their, their nest telling them what month it is to hibernate and wake up, so they're ruled by temperature. So if it's a bit of a warmer late late um, summer, they'll go back into breeding. But um, those particular hedgehogs 
would on death's door when I found them. I was I was supposed to, they found me. I think they found me. <laughs> and that, like you say, exactly, have a lot to answer for. Five years ago, you set up the, the Manx Hedgehog Charity. Yeah, yeah. I found myself getting busier and busier um, with, with the work of caring for the hedgehogs, and people started to find out about the work I was doing. Um, and it got to the point where I thought, you know, I, I was actually quite staggered that there wasn't anything to do with a hedgehog charity on the Isle of Man, because everybody loves them. Oh, everybody wants a hedgehog in the garden, <laughs> and everybody should have a hedgehog in the garden, because you would never, ever have to consider ever putting pesticide kill down. I'm really passionate about getting rid of all pesticide kill. Um, and um, yeah, and Mother's Nature's way was hedgehogs, hedgehogs. That's what we all really need. But because of more people, we've got less hedgehogs, I'm afraid. And that is what we're here to talk about: is the fact that in the British news in the UK, hedgehogs are now becoming endangered species. Mm. How are they faring on the island, though? Well, when I went around a lot on my educational talks, which we do many a year, not quite so much at the moment with covid obviously um and there were people talking to me about we don't see the hedgehogs in peel anymore and then i found people saying in Erin, we're really not seeing as many hedgehogs anymore and i thought well this is you know there's a reason for this and obviously you know those were um habitat disturbance areas because of new builds so when we've got more building more obviously estates they are large areas of building then we've got gardens aren't you know, aren't accommodating um, exit areas, entrance areas. They get in, they can't get out. Um, and they I can't get in at all, you know. And, and that's they, it. They're, Some they're... of these new bills, like you say, are very fenced, aren't they? And mm-hmm. maybe the yeah. use of... I see that astro grass is seemingly the new thing because it's easy to look after. It, it's very different habitats from when you and I maybe were growing up in our households. Yeah, totally. I mean, I was brought up on a farm in the country. So, um, yes, it is all changing um, and it's changing quickly. And people just need to start embracing more wildlife living around them, even in their garden. You know, just because you're living on an estate doesn't mean you don't have wildlife coming to your garden. Of course you do. So if you just think, you know, hedgehog-friendly for us, uh, hedgehog-friendly, um, you know, a little gap somewhere to allow a hedgehog, even just just a three-inch gap just at the end of the garden somewhere so that, you know, you're not allowing everything coming through, like your next-door neighbour's dog or something. <laughs> but um, just so that, you know, they can, they can they just can squash down a little bit and get through things. Um, and just if you've got a pond, consider putting a ramp. Yeah, I see that it, around by us. There's a few yes. cattle grids and they have made little ramps into it and put put signs on their gates to say, you know, keep an eye on the ramp, check in the cattle grid in case totally. somebody's fallen, just yeah. to people that are passing by. Yeah. And I yeah. think that's really lovely. They're embracing yeah. the whole idea of nature. And I think with the COVID and the lockdown we've had this year, Sandy, we've seen some absolutely wonderful nature things, haven't we? We have seen um, nature retrieve itself, basically. Um, I'm a great walker and I spend a lot of time in various parts of the Isle of Man and, you know, the sound of the birds seem to be more intense than you think, well, maybe it's because there was less cars. But for us, there was certainly less roadkill, for sure. Um, you know, I my job brings me home sometimes quite late at night and, um, you know, I was actually witnessing hedgehogs toggling across the road and getting to the other side and making it in the same place now there's roadkill mm. so you know it just goes to show that um you know a lot of the reasons why hedgehog population you know it particularly in the uk is decreasing is all to do with where we're going wrong as humans 
um, and we need to reconnect, re, re-embrace wildlife and think, um, educate, um, bring more awareness. And the, the aims of this charity are exactly that, to protect the species, um, the humble hedgehog, um, and to bring that education and awareness forward so that people understand them better, understand their needs better, um, looking out for the dangers, lots of different dangers, and they're out there, and we get so many phone calls asking for advice from why the hedgehogs eating my frogs that was one i got <laughs> oh, good golly and i thought well i need to ask a lot of questions answer a lot of questions but i've not had that one before me. even like even for you sandy that's so passionate about it it's a learning curve every day mm-hmm. something oh, yeah. new and that's that's something that you're so passionate about and with it has come the award that your charity has won this last couple of years Yes, we. it was a really nice surprise because we weren't told about this. We were told to get ourselves um, to the, the, the lecture room at the museum because um, it was the uh, UNESCO Biosphere um, presentation. And um, we were very lucky because we were in the highest category. Um, there was over 20 in it. And when they announced our name, I was really shocked. But then everyone said, you so deserve it. I mean, I had so many lovely emails and messages from that Um and, you know, we're all volunteers. It's an unpaid position. Um, and you've got to be passionate from your heart um, to keep slogging at it. Um, so, and, and that's what we do. We have, I, I manage the charity, obviously. I founded this charity, but there's lots of great, great people out there that are working with us, foster carers, um, even down to people running in and putting newspapers in my porch because we need them for hedgehogs. <laughs> um, it, honestly, it just comes in so many ways. Tim Bath Race for helping with donations and just so many different ways. Um, I, I can never tell you from one day to the next what's going to happen, but um, it, there's, a, there's a great community support and a great love of the Manx Hedgehog and I hope and I believe that to continue with our work in the manner that we do um, we certainly will not have hedgehogs endangered in the Isle of Man. And that is a really really great thing to hear and like you say you go on talks around the Isle of Man and I guess teaching the younger generations is vital. It's totally. They're little sponges, aren't they? Um, And children just want to get stuck out there and and get dirty and get into the ground and find out slugs, snails. Yes, we've done loads of workshops, actually, to help educate the children. Uh, The Cabinet Office actually asked us to do an environmental workshop, which was at the Ardblen and St John's Gardens. That was a couple of years ago. Um, We did three days in a marquee. It absolutely chucked it down um, on the third day, but there were certainly some slugs and snails hanging around outside, so we grabbed a few of them and brought them in. But we taught the children um, um, how to protect the species, um, why they're here and for what purpose they're here. Um, The food chain process, uh, we do wiggly worm workshops, so we got close to worms we showed them the importance of the worms to planet earth we talk about the bees but uh, i'm really passionate about the earthworms then we covered the new zealand flatworm that eats the earthworm and that's not good so children learnt about that and it was really educational and and um, And i do think sandy you say Mm. this is aimed at children why not some of the adults because i know that some people may have never had the opportunity to explore like we have as country people growing up yeah. you know they could maybe come out of bigger cities and move to this beautiful island mm-hmm. but why not offer it out to everyone you're never yeah. too old are you you're never too old the child's within us all no matter how old we are <laughs> yeah <laughs> um i um really hope to hold a workshop for adults because it's the adults that phone us 
um, on the Hedgehog um, helpline and it can be anything to um, it's night time, there's a hedgehog on the road do I leave it, do I not leave it or there's um, a hedgehog that's wobbling uh, or there's a hedgehog that's injured and we just don't know what to do, what do we do so that's where we take the calls as best we can um, and I think it would be really good to get um, adults together in a couple of workshops um, and, and fire out this advice to them um, and a lot of people like doing the craft side of it as well we've got quite a few ideas for craft as well and some of the ladies say you know could you do a little art workshop you know something to do with making some design of hedgehog um, I collect a lot of sea glass and I thought we could probably do something nice with that um, so yeah there's, there's loads of things it's we have to and have been obviously very careful with having to sort of all protect ourselves on the Isle of Man right now haven't we with Covid but you know hopefully we can remain safe as we have been and um, and work towards maybe a workshop in the autumn because that would be really good to cover hibernation yeah um, and, and, and hibernation comes yeah. with its dangers actually so um i think if we can do an educational workshop and maybe a bit of fun and craft and have some cake and tea <laughs> that's uh, always and, a good poll <laughs> raise some funds you know um I, I think that's something that we need to work on for a bit later in the year yeah. um, but it's always nice like you say to get involved with everybody you know the community in the isle of man is held together like you've seen firsthand through the covid pandemic but now you know, getting out in the in the isle of man it, it is a magical place the Isle of Man is the gem of God's earth, isn't it? I mean, you know, you just drive from one end to the other and everything's beautiful. Um, and, you know, some people have found it very frustrating um, not being able to get off the island because of COVID. Um, and I am not the least bit bothered. I just think it's a holiday every day. Yeah. There's always something new every day. Um, and, 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 you know, I, I've got to meet a lot of people in my line of work, um, being an environmentalist, conservationist. Um, and, you know, you just can't go anywhere without somebody talking to me about hedgehogs, hedgehog, hedgehogs. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, it doesn't matter where I go, I try and avoid Strand Street. <laughs> but that is I the just, Isle of Man, yeah, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. It really is. And I'm always known for being late. <laughs> <laughs> but like you say people want to get on and do what can they do just in their own little space at home sandy just to to help the their isle of man hedgehogs not get endangered like the uk okay well firstly number one hedgehogs are out and about it's a breeding season now even though we think it's coming to the end it's not uh drive with due care and attention there could be a hedgehog about if you think there's something crossing the road just slow down um consider um removing all pesticide poisons from your garden shed they're of no good there's so many other alternatives if you don't know get in contact with us we'll certainly put you in the right direction um consider when you're gardening strimmers uh, so many dangers within the garden get a ramp coming out your pond so they don't drown because when they wake up from um hibernation they've lost 40 percent of their weight they're dehydrated and they are desperate for water so we do then say to people come you know february march start getting the water bowls back out again um, because they could just be passing through and that bowl of water could be a lifesaver and for birds for our wild birds too um that there are various various different things that you can do to support the hedgehog um and just enjoy the hedgehog this when you've it. got it in your garden we have lots of people saying oh the kids built a little house and we can't believe it's gone in and um, the support is just amazing yeah. and can people find it online are you reachable how do you, how do they get in touch with you sandy yeah okay well we're, we're very busy on the facebook which is manx hedgehog conservation society come on and like us then you can follow us then um we've got an email 
address, which is manxhedgehogs at gmail.com. Um, phone line, 413-921. Um, there's various different ways you can get hold of us. Um, and um, I just really thank everybody, actually. Everyone's been absolutely amazing, um, but there's still more work to be done. That was Sandy Hoyton from the Manx Hedgehog Conservation Society. And we're so lucky, Kiri, to have passionate people like Sandy, the Bat Club on the island, the Manx Bat Group, um, the ornithology side of it. You know, we, we've all got great people behind it. The, the whale and dolphin watch, haven't we? Oh, absolutely fantastic. They do a great job. And, and a lot of them, Simon, volunteers too. And they're always looking for more volunteers. So, if, you know, if you've got a little bit of spare time, do look out for these wildlife conservation societies. There's plenty of them to get involved with. What, miss the PS4 or coronation? So you're, so you're asking a lot of people, aren't you? All right, uh, that's it. Uh, if you want to listen to the programme again, or if you missed any of it, it's available on Manx Radio's website uh, on the podcast say you'll hear the, all the interviews in full and if you've got anything for the programme let Kiri or myself know leave a message at the station we'll get back to you or send an email to countryside at manxradio.com until next Tuesday at 6 from me Simon Clark and me Kiri Kermode we'll see you then bye 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 bye